Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Chris Jones. Vladimir Putin's position as president is untouchable. According to a Russian independent non-governmental polling research organization called the Levada Center, his approval rating amongst the Russian public is around 83%. In fact, in 24 years, his approval rating has only ever dropped below 60% once, that being in 2020 during the COVID-19 pandemic. So how does he do it? How does he supposedly keep the majority of the Russian public on side? And what, if anything, could harm his popularity leading up to the March presidential election? To answer all of that, I spoke to Abbas Galiamov, former speechwriter for Vladimir Putin turned self-exiled political consultant, who's now reportedly on the Kremlin's wanted list. And a short note to listeners, this episode was recorded before the death of Alexei Navalny. Let's take a listen. I want to start by getting the questions out of the way that you've probably been asked a million times about your former role as as Putin's um, speechwriter. Just for for context, can you tell me a little bit about um, what you did in that role and, and how long you did it for? So three years all in all, uh, I worked in the team of his speechwriters. One year when he was uh, president, and two years when he was prime minister. It was back in 2008, 2012, if you remember, when uh, Medvedev was the formal president of the country and Putin was yep. the prime minister. Just writing speeches, nothing else. So you, you, you worked fairly closely with him, it's probably fair to say, not on a personal level, but um, as, as part of a team. What were your impressions um, of him as, as a leader during your time in that role? Well, back then, uh, he was totally different person than he is now. So now he, he seems to be acting so erratically. Back then, he was totally different. He was absolutely logic. He was in uh, full control of his emotions. I never heard within the three years, I never heard him raise his voice. He was uh, absolutely polite with all his team. I saw him, uh, you know, many dozen times, maybe even hundreds, hundreds of times during uh, meetings, both private and public. And he was always like, um, he was, I would say he was a, you know, a good corporate manager. He seemed like this. He he knew how to ask proper questions to get the right answers. I never saw him, him like, you know, being not interested in some trifle daily matters. Uh, no, he mm. was always engrossed in the process it was not so much about politics it was uh, mostly about you know administrative work management so later when he started this uh, this war and uh, when he started killing people in mass both russians and ukrainians um i was trying to figure out how could it be that this man turned into that man mm. and then i understood that probably it's not that he changed much just what i saw it was totally different nobody like uh, you know was uh, threatening his uh, political positioning. So he felt absolutely comfortable, absolutely secure. And in this situation, he is quite friendly, quite amicable, I would say. Um, now it's uh, totally different. You told me, uh, now you mentioned uh, this poll, uh, high polling numbers, but you should understand that it's just a fake. You know, all the official polling companies in Russia, they're produ- what they're producing, is, uh, it has nothing to do with the real attitude of mm. Russians. Just... The fear of uh, repressions is so high that people are just like, you should understand that this kind of polling, it's not intended now to measure 
the support of Putin. It's rather the measuring the amount of brave people who 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 dare even now in current situation to say no, I don't trust Putin. So judging by these polls, the only thing we can tell is. Uh, that um, we have something like 15, between 15 and 20% of brave people. And all the others are just afraid of, to tell the truth. So among all those people who are telling, I, I approve of Putin, you don't have only those who really approve of Putin. You also have those who doubt uh, everything. And we have a lot of those people now. They are no longer loyal, but they still have not arrived to like pure opposition. They are in somewhere in the middle ground. Uh, they are shifting their loyalty now. That now they are in the process. And you also have in this group uh, people who are totally not loyal, but uh, who are afraid to tell so. Uh, real electoral rating of Putin now, according to my estimates, is something like uh, 33-35%. So like two-thirds of Russians, they don't want him. That's why he's really facing serious uh, challenge. Uh, during the coming uh, election. I mean, formally, of course, he controls the whole body, the whole administrative yeah. body, which is responsible for the results of the election. So the formal result will be here. It will be 80, 90, 100%, whatever he wants. But uh, it's not enough just to produce the figure. It's uh, You should make people believe this figure. And in Russia, like the majority wouldn't believe it. Uh, so this is the situation. So just to clarify that you would you would say that even though the Levada Center claims it's independent and non-governmental, its polling and its uh, results that it produces still just absolutely cannot be trusted. They were uh, really independent till the beginning of the war. So before February 2022, I, I, I'm still using Levada Center figures. But right. uh, what, what is uh, happening after this is no longer valid. No, like, you know, you can try to use some of the figures. I'm not telling that they're faking the figures by themselves, but they're yeah. pretending that the people are free and openly expressing their opinion. But, but it's not like this. So when, for example, you have the figures of FCOM, uh, open-ended question with regard to uh, trust in politicians, because Levada is asking its close question. It's like, do you trust Putin or you don't trust Putin? Who on earth in Russia can tell, no, I don't trust Putin now. Because you don't know. It's like you are opening the gate to hell. If you're mm. a, a regular voter, you don't know what they are going to ask you. Or what if they ask, why are you not uh, trusting our president? Now the person, when he's coming to contact with the sphere of politics, he really perceives his only goal is to, to avoid troubles. But when Ftsilom uh, is asking open-ended question, please give us the names of uh, several politicians whom you yeah. trust, whom, whom you would trust to solve the most important burning issues uh, which Russia faces. This is the question. And something like just uh, 35, around 35 people are naming Putin. What? They forgot uh, who Putin is. Of course, no. Several years ago, the same open-ended question was producing 65-70%. But now just 35. Why? Because this figure, 83%, what you mentioned, is immediately dropping down to uh, 35 or something. So public opinion in Russia now is a really tricky thing. You cannot measure it. You've got to be doing, you know, this modeling. So each expert taking bits and pieces from every corner and uh, yeah. try trying to understand how it's uh, working. How much 
Therefore, do you think that Russian politics right now is just purely being led on fear? You mentioned the polling there and people giving their answers uh, out of fear. Does that is that the same for voting as well? Russia, the Russian public uh, are scared not to vote for for Putin, for example, or in some cases because of the fear of what might happen to them. Well, you know, uh, when you are in the polling booth, you are alone there, and you know that you are folding your ballot sheet and then throwing it, and nobody can detect it that it's yours. So a lot of people feel free uh, to vote not for Putin. Uh, but, uh, of course, there are a lot of people, especially, you know, these villagers, uh, people in close uh, small settlements where, like, the bosses are nearby. Uh, uh, mm. Well, those people would be afraid to vote against Putin. Uh, but uh, you should also understand that they created this electronic, like, one-third of the Russian regions would be voting electronically. And what yeah. they're doing now, it's you can, you can vo- vote from your computer. What they're doing now, they made the three-day voting. Previously, it was one day, and now it's three-day voting, like to make it easier to falsify the elections when uh, there are no public yeah. observers, monitors at night, you can change ballots and things like this. The first day of election, it's uh, workday. It's not uh, weekend. It's uh, when people go to work. It's Friday. So uh, now they're organizing so that all those people who are in offices they should be coming to the special computer or some special person who is responsible for this, entering this polling site and voting for Putin in front of this person. So there is a no uh, uh, no observation, no, no no not somebody else, like just the boss is sitting. Imagine, mm. and uh, the and the employee is coming and he is clicking on for Putin uh, in the in the presence of the boss and the boss is watching. So this is what yeah. they call electronic voting, distant voting. Yeah. Uh, so, of course, they're going to use uh, all the things which intimidate the voter and a lot of people have to vote for Putin, uh, even if they don't uh, want. But still, he is really risking to receive less than uh, 50% in, uh, in, yeah. the first, in the first round. Um, I want to talk about the election in, in, in just a second, but I just want to ask you one more question about Putin's uh, character and how he comes across uh, to the public, because I think you wrote something in, in Newsweek that described him going from manager to extremist to when we talk about uh, this this war in Ukraine. What do you think the biggest change has been in Putin since you worked with him up, up to now? So probably not so much about change. He, he just switched. He's a double-faced person. Probably he's the champion and from this point of view. <laughs> and he just uh, switched to another mode. When he is uh, solving uh, those problems which are uh, economic, uh, social, which do not demand confrontation, well, he's still logical. But he's quickly switching over onto this mode of extremist when he is doing um, this political thing, when he's making political decisions which uh, are about confrontation. He feels that he's confronting serious challenges both outside in Ukraine, USA, uh, EU, and inside, uh, declining popularity and the growing uh, protest mood. After the break, I ask Mr. Galiamov about anti-war candidate Boris Nadazhin and his rise to prominence. Or rather, he was a candidate. After recording this interview, he was barred from the ballot. Electoral authorities claimed 15% of his vote signatures needed to get on the ballot were flawed. 
Now, Nadazhdin, who has been hugely critical of Putin, disputes this ruling by electoral officials and wrote on Telegram that the votes he collected were gathered openly and honestly. Nevertheless, I asked Abbas whether he was ever a serious candidate in the first place and what Nadazhdin was campaigning on. Let's get back to that conversation after this. Let's move on to the election now then, because the presidential election isn't far away at all. What kind of messages has Putin been putting out to the Russian public? What has he been leading any kind of campaign on? Look, it's, it's a really interesting thing is happening. Originally, Kremlin announced its plans unofficially, but sources from Kremlin announced the, the, their plans. It was several times in September, October, November. They were mentioning that they wanted to diminish the role of this special military operation in the public discourse and during the campaign, because it's clear it's not popular. People are tired. They want peace now. Yeah. And since you cannot promise them peace and you cannot deliver victory as you promised, uh, well, there is growing disappointment. So it's better to diminish the role of this, uh, of this thing in the discourse. And they were originally intending to do this, but then they came across a clash with this Russian so-called Siloviki, uh, the military, the police, the FSB, the, all the security agencies, those on whom Putin's authority and Putin's power relies now. This is the real social backing of uh, Putin. No longer a simple voter. For, for many years, for decades, uh, Putin was really, uh, his social support was ordinary uh, Russian voter. No longer it is like this. Um, uh, you should understand, speaking about the ratings, um, his uh, electoral rating back then, before war, when this public opinion surveys were still uh, valid and reliable, uh, his electoral rating, uh, which was uh, something like 76 in 2015, uh, fell down by 35 in January 2020. After this, uh, January 2020, and this, uh, the only company which was measuring um, electoral rating, not approval rating, not trust uh, electoral rating, which is the most valid uh, indicator. They just stopped doing this. They told FOM, Fond общественное мнение. But here we have elections coming. <laughs> here they are, just 15, in, uh, like, sorry, one month and a half left. And they're still not yeah. doing this because this is really uh, much lower thing uh, than this formal approval or formal trust. He started facing this problem something like since 2018, the second half of 2018, it became visible. His public support was eroding very fast and yeah. the opposition mood was growing. So he has to tighten the screws. He has to become aggressive. And he's giving the authority to, to those Siloviki. Now uh, his chief uh, to his, uh, to the police, FSB and so on. So now they are his uh, real social uh, base of his regime. And they're opposing to diminishing the role of the special military operation. Uh, it doesn't matter that the voter wants this. No, we don't want this because from their point of view, it's like, what? We're shedding blood there. We are fighting for the country. And you are like betraying us. It's, it's mm. treason. And what Putin and his civilian uh, administration want, they, they want this to be just an operation. Narrow. 
not like engrossing the whole life of the country. And those uh, Siloviki, they really want the whole country to, to revolve around this uh, special military operation for it to become an all-out war. And so they're now imposing their uh, agenda and, and and so it's like a basic contradiction between uh, those who want it to be small and those who want it to be big. And Putin cannot create a coherent message so far. For now, right. there is no campaign visible from the point of view of contact, contents. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's just there um, showing uh, every day a lot of news about his daily operations as president. It's not campaign, so to yeah. say. It's just presidential activity. And, and, and talking of anti-war uh, campaigning, I think Boris Nijedzin has been campaigning on, on these grounds, as well as other things, such as repealing anti-LGBTQ laws and, and things like this. How seriously can we take uh, Nijedzin? Um Or is he, is he just some kind of decoy for Putin to take out to make him look more powerful? No, even if from the very beginning there was plan in Putin's administration to use Nadezhdin as, you know, a caricature figure of a liberal, anti-war liberal whom Putin easily defeats, then this plan obviously failed. Uh, and with Nadezhdin on ballot, uh, now Putin is really uh, facing the challenge of the threat of the election becoming just a referendum on the issue of war and peace, and Putin would lose mm. it. Because like, it, it would be like, you know, you want war and all this abnormality which is around war. Repressions, sanctions, declining economics, and all this hysteria. Uh, so vote Putin. And if you want this, all this to stop, if you want peace and uh, end of repressions, well, then vote Nadezhdin. And in this case, it's pretty obvious that the majority of people would like to vote for uh, Nadezhdin. And in the second round, I'm not talking about the first round, but in the second round, I, I have no doubts, frankly speaking, Nadezhdin will win. Again, I'm speaking about the real votes, not about the formal results. Right. So uh, Kremlin is uh, now, th this game went out of hand and uh, they really need to get rid of uh, Nadezhdin. And I think that's what they're going to do. They will not allow him to be present on the ballot list. They will declare that the signatures which he produced uh, were not uh, good enough. Although, they, although the whole country saw, probably you saw this too, like uh, thousands of people all over the country were standing in lines. It's pretty cold there in Russia now. They were standing in those lines outside uh, of Nadezhdin's uh, like, uh, headquarters where they were gathering those signatures for hours. And they came and they wrote down their names and they sent those names to the authorities. Yes, we are for anti-war candidate. This is the behavior of pretty brave people. They showed like the explosion. It's like all of a sudden it turned out that Russians are still ready to act uh, as opposition. And those 100,000 people who already gave their signatures, they would uh, come. If, if Nadezhdin is on the ballot list, they would go and work as... Uh, observers or on the polling stations and they would be hampering to make this uh, uh, falsification process. There would be a lot of scandals which will end uh, Putin's uh, image of legitimately elected popular president. It's already like shaking, like this uh, mass repressions mm. of the last two of the past two years 
they already delivered serious blow on this image. And if they falsify the election so openly through a lot of scandals, visible scandals, well, in this case, uh, he would end up being just a dictator and uh, mm-hmm. not 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 the leader who has the right to speak on behalf of the country. You know, so far he's trying to exploit this image. It's not me. This is the country behind me. It's like what Levada yeah. Center is helping him to create this image. Uh, like, uh, the whole country supports me. Uh, and uh, this election is threatening him to, 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 to put an end to all this thing. Like, they, they'll go on saying it, but nobody would believe it. So far, a lot of people, they still doubt. Maybe it's, he's really popular. Maybe Russians are really so crazy that they support all this thing. Uh, and uh, this election, if Nadezhdin is on the ballot list and he is doing all this thing, um, it, they're really threatening this whole construction. So they sure that uh, they wouldn't allow Nadezhdin to be on the ballot list. And you say that, interestingly, uh, over the past couple of days, there have been electoral officials who have told Nadezhdin and, and his campaign and his team that the signatures that he produced, many of which the people do not exist, um, of which he is obviously... Um, come back against that. Is this is this a really typical tactic that we see in Russian elections of blaming it on the signatures, as it were? Yes, it's uh, one, the chief uh, tool with which Russian authorities control the uh, elections. Uh, the results, the election outcome, is the control over the list of the candidates. They they are deciding uh, who is to, going to be on the ballot list. That's why Navalny is not there, Yashin is not there, Gudkov is not yeah. there, and nobody and. Uh, and now they're afraid even of Nadezhdin, although compared to those people I mentioned before, Nadezhdin was always considered a much weaker figure. But now Russians are looking for any alternative so desperately that even Nadezhdin became like, an, like a superhero. So, you know, yeah. Russians, it's, it's funny, like uh, one year ago, they wouldn't have paid attention to Nadezhdin. They were not paying attention to Nadezhdin at all. And now they feel that as if they were waiting for him for, the, for their whole life. So, yes, uh, coming back to your question, sorry, uh, this, uh, this is the chief tool with, with, through which they were always achieving the result of those uh, elections, uh, those results which they wanted. And then just finally, Abbas, as we say, formally, Putin is going to win this election. I don't think anyone is really debating that. But when when he does win this election, um, what are we going to see afterwards? I think it will be getting worse and worse. Uh, he will tighten, start tightening the screws. He will most probably start the new wave of mass mobilization. They were planning to do it uh, at the end of the summer, previous summer. But uh, then they decided to wait till uh, after the election. There is a big chance that they would get a couple of hundred thousand people more to send to the front. Uh, so they, they can't afford uh, this war to drag on and on and on and on. They want to produce this image, but they can't. Uh, the resources yeah. which the regime can generate, they are limited. It's funny. We have the, all the resources in the country, actually. Russia is a pretty rich country, potentially, but the regime is so inefficient that it cannot generate those resources. And so the situation is getting worse and worse for them. So Putin really needs to achieve a quick victory. If he drags this war on and on, it ultimately it will end up in some kind of revolution. It might be popular revolution or an elite coup or something else or a military uh, riot uh, like we, what we saw with uh, Prigozhin. Something like this. It's exactly what happened to Russia 100 uh, years ago when the First World War, which started as a like 
really patriotic uh, thing. Like uh, all the people were happy and very patriotic and went to the front. And in just three years, it led to a revolution and overthrow mm. of the regime. Yeah, well, whether Putin can achieve a quick victory or not, um, that will uh, remain to be seen. Mr. Galimov, thanks for, thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. Hello, I'm Ross Taylor with news of Oh God, What Now? The politics podcast that's never going to leave its voter ID at home. On Friday's show, it's six months until the US election and Donald Trump is stuck sitting on trial in a New York courthouse. Is he bulletproof or can Joe Biden turn around the polls? In the second half, it's local elections week, but we've steadily taken power away from local authorities. What if we gave it back? And in the extra bit for supporters, is there a right level of ruthlessness in politics? That's Oh God, What Now? with me, Ros Taylor, Raphael Baer, Hannah Fern, guest Nikki McCann-Ramirez, out now, wherever you get your podcasts. Listeners, if you'd like to hear more important conversations like this, then why not back us on Patreon? For just £3 a month, you'll get all of our episodes first, ad-free, and a chance to get your hands on some of our exclusive merchandise. And if you want to know more about Vladimir Putin, his war in Ukraine, and the ever-growing number of other global conflicts, why not listen to our sister podcast, This Is Not A Drill? I promise you won't regret it. I'm Chris Jones. Thanks for listening. The Bunker was written and presented by Chris Jones, who is also the producer. Audio production by Robin Leeburn, art by Jim Parrott, and music by Kenny Dickinson. The managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, group editor Andrew Harrison, and The Bunker is a Podmasters production.